Welcome into the best podcast available. That's right, it is the best podcast available to you, and you know that because you've gotten it. You're here with us, Nathan Zagura, the voice of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Donovan, Nature, and Sir Andrew Gribble, all with you here after day two of the Browns and the Colts joint practices. And gentlemen, Freddie Kitchens told his team to set the tone, and I believe they did just that. Jim, what did you see today from the Browns? Well, uh, um, you're right. He definitely got to them, I think, after the practice yesterday, which went okay. I mean, it was good. They were the better team yesterday. But I think he uh, thought that, you know, they kind of, you know, I don't know, took it easy or, you know, played maybe to the Colts' speed, and he wanted them to play to what he's been doing with them. And I think they did. And, wow, it was, uh, it was really something to watch. It was feisty. Um, but I think that happens anyway when teams go up against each other for two days in a row. And, um, you know, I don't know if we'll – I don't think we'll see that Saturday. But I think that I think that uh, the Browns were they, – they just have such a different look about them. They're yeah. just so physical. And I'm not saying it's a swagger, but they do kind of walk around like they're a really good football team, and they know it. Yeah, and I think we saw that both sides of the ball. Nick, what did you see today? I mean, I, I would agree. I think feisty and swagger are two really good words to describe this team. They, they definitely have a chip on their shoulder and, and, a, and a unified attitude that they will take nothing from anybody. Any challenger is welcome to attempt to challenge them, but they will give them their all. That's what they did today. They came out and played physical from the very start. They, they won at the point of attack on the defensive line, and they really set the tone up there. The Colts' offense struggled as a result. They got a lot of pressure on Jacoby Brissett, on Chad Kelly, on whoever the Colts put back there they had a lot of issues a lot of the times they were forced to check down and dump it out in the flats when they tried to move the ball in those periods because no one was open or they just didn't have time to sit back and wait for somebody to get open and I think that's a credit to the Browns defense and it's not just the defensive line but the linebackers played really well and the cornerbacks are in, in safeties are playing tight coverage really a full team effort from the defensive side of the football today and I think it was a total victory yeah, and offensively, Peyton Manning was in the house. First time he'd attended a Colts practice since he left the Colts. And from what I heard is he was impressed with Baker Mayfield. And why wouldn't he be today, Gribbs? He put on a little bit of a show. Yeah, I mean, it started with a really impressive 7-on-7 seven -seven session where he had Jarvis Landry at his disposal, which wasn't the case yesterday for really the majority of the practice. And he went to Jarvis early and often, and I think that got him in a rhythm. They came out for a two-minute drill, and they thrown in completion, and then buzz right down the field I mean, it was just it was all it was down the middle back-to-back -back throws down the sideline of Jalen Strong and then to, to Jarvis wide open in the middle of the end zone mm -hmm. on a short little uh, pass so I mean I think I wasn't officially looking at the uh, clock but I think they did it well under two minutes they were yes. moving uh, and it was it's something that is clearly emerging as a strength of this team is the two-minute offense Baker played at that speed his entire college career he is in his comfort zone he's good when they're slow but he is really good when they're moving fast. Did uh, did Baker Mayfield go to the Manning passing camp when he was a kid? I was wondering because don't all the I great ones know. go there? You would think they do, but I, at that time he probably didn't have that fanfare. Yeah, the guy yeah, who get a scholarship well, and walk wasn't, right. I know yeah. somebody else who went there, a former Browns quarterback. <laughs> that didn't go so well, unfortunately, for him. Uh, Jim, you make a great point there. And, Jim, I would ask you, and uh, all three of you, actually, is this an offense that maybe we should run – not necessarily only in a two-minute situation. Just let Baker get up there, go high tempo with all these weapons, keep a certain personnel group on the field, and attack. Well, I could definitely see that being a, you know, a, a couple of pages in that playbook. Um, and all the really good quarterbacks love doing they, that. Of course. I mean, you know, Ben Roethlisberger loved doing it, and Todd Haley let him do it, and Bruce Arians before that 
Let them do it. I think Brady loves to do it. They love calling the plays up at the line of scrimmage and getting into a tempo. I mean, and I don't know that it's going to be something that they would start a game with after we saw them start it against the Redskins, but it's certainly something if it did, as you said, Andrew, if, if they'd got a little bit off tempo and got slow and you wanted to jump start it and get it going, then, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, they are so equipped to do it now. I mean, you know, they, uh, they have personnel groups coming out of their ears that can do it. Yeah, it seems uh, they're very efficient, and you mentioned Baker just seems so comfortable in that look. I, I think it's a weapon that they have in the arsenal that they could probably pull out at any time, and which I think is extremely dangerous from an offensive perspective because, you know, let's say that you, you have a scoring drive. Maybe you put 10 points on the board. You get like a 10-7 lead or something like that, and all of a sudden you come out up-tempo. You're in the middle of the second quarter, or you start the second half with that. You catch the defense. You put them on their heels. You move right down the field, and you get a touchdown. I mean, that's something that – a lot of teams probably wish that they could do, and it's been very clear in this camp that this team is very, very able to do. So I think it's just another thing that you have, I think, in your bag that you can go to. Well, and I think what we've seen from Freddie Kitchens, and this goes all the way back to his, I, I would, I think it was his first game as the coordinator of the Browns, is he went into that game against the Chiefs knowing we need to keep our defense mm-hmm. off the field as much as possible. And that's when the Browns had some of their longest drives of the season. It was a, a ball control offense that yep. they ran very effectively but then he also knows when to to push the right buttons to get this team moving down the field and the only danger of going the reason you can't go up tempo all game is it it really hurts your it can hurt your defense sure i mean you go up tempo you do a fast three and out that's no break for your defense and i I think that that's the danger you can run into especially as the season gets gets longer and, and, and guys are getting tired but i mean he is a guy that is equipped to play this kind of uh, of tempo and it's the coaches that maximize the strengths of the players they have that seem to do the best and this is clearly a strength of Baker. Well Randy. the only thing is you you have Nick Chubb back there too. I was just yeah, going to say I mean, you know you yeah. don't um I think and I really do believe that there is a huge chunk of the offense that is going to be going his way and that would be the only thing that I think you would start to lose his effectiveness and and exactly what you're saying is that if you want to control the play you want to control the game and keep that defense off the field even though I think they look tremendous but I mean the best the best side of them is on the is on the sideline because you're out on the field then I think the Chubb game becomes a big part of it too I think it's a really you know, it's something that everyone's going to have to prepare sure. when you play against them, though. Of course, and Nick Chubb, right after that two-minute drill, the next team period, they came out and one carry. Nick Chubb, 65 yards, touchdown Browns, and it just kind of shows his explosive ability. And I think talking about Chubb in the two-minute drill, if you go back to that first drive against Washington, I think he had, what, one carry for 13 yards and caught two passes for another 26 or so. So he his, yeah. his development as a pass catcher, I think, has been really great for the Browns, certainly this offseason, but he's – He's a weapon. That's the thing about it is how are teams going to try to combat what the Browns do passing the football, and then they get a little bit in a light defense, and all of a sudden you're just going to go run it down their throats with Nick Chubb, who looks faster and stronger and and better than ever. Right, and I think that's the overarching point here is this team can do it in in a multitude of ways, which, you know, is excellent to think about for this offense, considering that, you know, we've lacked this ability for many you know years but this is a different team and and, and the potential is sky high i mean you, you can move the ball in, in a number of different ways score in a number of different ways if you want to slow it down you can slow it down and pound the ground with nick chubb if you want to go fast you can clearly go fast and you can do everything in between and we haven't even again really tested this offense with odell beckham on the field i mean that's that's arguably your best weapon so i you know it's it's extremely exciting to think about 
Jim, you've been around the team longer than any of us here, and we talked about it earlier, just the, the kind of the togetherness, the camaraderie of this team, the way that they seem really to love each other. They share in the celebrations. They had each other's back out here today. Does this kind of have that feel to um, you of, of probably one of the closer Browns teams or maybe even the closest that you've seen, certainly in some time? Yeah. You know, Kozar's second year when they, uh, they had lost to Miami in the playoffs, they blew a big lead in the game down at the Orange Bowl, and they lost the game, and then they changed their offense, and Lindy and Fani came in, and they were going to throw the ball, and they were really kind of a, almost like a little bit of a West Coast offense. And they came out, and uh, but they knew they were going to be good that next year, and they were, and they, they went 12-4 and four and all the way to the AFC Championship game. This team has that kind of look. Now, from 99 up until this, there were a lot of times where there were factions on the team. The defense said, you know, we're going to have to play a lot because the offense can't move the ball. Um, you know, the offense knew that they were probably letting the defense down. And then the quarterback was never a, a confidence point no. for the team. Never. I mean, and, that, and that's, a, that's a huge problem. And I think these guys, the Colts are feeling it right now as their camp winds up here today. I mean, they're, a, they're an incomplete picture because of the Andrew Luck question mark. But I think it is, I think it's a very, very together bunch that really knows they're very good. I think they know they're good, and it could be a very special run for them. Yeah, you know, you know the, the key, swagger. Yeah, and the key with that though is the difference between knowing you, you can know you're good and not apply it. Right. This team is very much applying it, and they're not taking it for granted, which I, I think goes right back to Freddie Kitchens and what he's emphasized and stressed with them since the moment he got this job and the moment they came in for off-season work up till now, which is playing together and, and working their tails off. The Cleveland Browns in my seven, this is be my seventh season, so in the six years prior, I always felt like we're a team that was reactionary. And what I mean by that is another team would come in, they would impose their will on the Browns, and the Browns' chance to win was to kind of take their blows and hope that they caught them in a mess up somewhere and then win. We were never, at least I never felt like the Browns were the team that was going to go on the field and set the tone and impose their will. And this is a group that feels like anytime they go on the field, they are ready to impose their will and be the alpha team. And I think that's what Freddie wanted, and I think that's what we're seeing. And I, I thought today you saw it plain as day against a team, and yet was Quentin Nelson out there? No. Was Andrew Luck out there? No. But you're talking about a group of guys that were very successful last year. Nine out of ten games they won to finish that season. And I thought the Browns were better all over the field. Well, you know, uh, a beloved Illyria native, Les Miles, went on a rant one time about being a hammer instead of being the nail. That's right. And I think that's that's <laughs> kind of the, the cliche that the uh, applies applies to, to exactly what you're talking about. And I think that is details what Freddie saw yesterday compared to what he wanted today and what he got today. And I think that's that's why he was so happy after today's practice. Yeah, he I, I have not seen him that pleased with what he saw from his team at any point, and I thought we all enjoyed it, and it was great to see. All right, want to go around the table now. Who helped themselves the most, whether it's somebody to try to be a starter, whether it's somebody to make the team? Who do you think in the two days here in uh, outside of Indianapolis, here in Westfield, Indiana, who do you think helped themselves the most in these two days against the Colts? Well, I would say that it looks like Eric Cush is really settling in, you know, at the right guard spot. Now, I don't know if that if he's going to be declared that, um, and I know that we've all focused on that position. But the offensive line, it's maybe as a group, and and certainly him taking more number one reps than anybody else did. Sure. Maybe taking them all, as a matter of fact. Um, I think that they kind of they looked they looked good. I thought today, and when 
when Chubb hit that run, that was an inside run, too. When he hit that run, there was an explosion of elation with Mayfield and the entire offensive line. And it was really good, and it was really sincere. So I think the offensive line in the last two days, and definitely today, kind of settled down. And because that's a- I think there was a little worry about them. I think there is in the outside, and that's the one position group that you're consistently hearing the outside say isn't good enough, and I think they did enjoy their performance today. Who helped themselves the most in your eyes, Nick Shook? Uh, You know, I'm going to try and and split between – yeah, you know what? Yeah, we'll go between two guys. A guy who helped himself who may be on the bubble is Daniel Aquale. He had a really nice couple of days. He's had a really solid camp. I think they really like him a lot, and and he played well off of Larry Ogunjobi today. Mm -hmm. Uh, in place of Sheldon Richardson whenever they rotated. I heard a lot of 96, 96, get in, get in. So mm. it's good that he's getting those reps. But another guy who's just – it's really great to see back and see playing with this defense is Jannard Avery. Yes. I mean, yeah. he is really great rushing off the edge, and I, and I enjoyed watching him get around the edge today and get after the quarterback. So it's great to see him back on the field. Four and a half sacks. And by the way, Gibbe, you could appreciate this. Nick shook a man after my own heart. Give me one guy, he's going to give you two every time. I do the same thing. I yep. love it. Grips, who uh, you got? I'm going to go with Jalen Strong. And I, I think uh, he's, so, my he's someone that I think if he was going to have to be a starting receiver for this team, if, if this team just didn't have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, I'd feel fine about it. He's been that good in camp. Uh, outside of one day where he dropped two touchdown passes back-to-back, it's been all good since then. I mean, yeah. it, it, he was the most consistent receiver the Browns had on this field for the last two practices. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, he was making plays anytime the ball was thrown to him, making tough catches, making easy catches, getting open consistently. He has really turned things around uh, for really what was a make-or-break year for him. I mean, he's coming off uh, – not many guys go a year without playing football and then come back and play good football. So I think he is someone who's really in in a much better, maybe more comfortable spot than he was before he came here. He doesn't want to get comfortable because that's the that's the there's enough depth at this wide receiver position where if you nosedive after this, you might not make the team. But he if he keeps this up, he's going to be a part of this offense. Because if you look at what Todd Munkin did in Tampa Bay, he, even though he had two good tight ends, he didn't, didn't really use his running backs much. Didn't have any good running backs, but he used four wide receivers yeah. a lot and got them involved, got them a lot of touches. And with, especially with Callaway suspended, I mean, Strong has a really good opportunity to be an impactful player on this offense. And it's clear he's developing a chemistry with Baker, especially in the red zone. He's making a lot of catches in the end zone, and I think he's done more to help himself over the last seven days than really anybody. The guy that I'm going to single out for these two days uh, is behind Eric Cush, but a guy that we were thinking was maybe even on the roster bubble as a draft pick, and that's Drew Forbes. Yeah. And he's uh, Freddie Kitchens told me, he said, look, he's just put his head down. He's worked every day. He's gotten better. And as he keeps getting better, we're going to keep giving him more. He got a few first-team reps, but really was the second-team right guard after not being with the second team at all the first few weeks of camp. And I think Drew Forbes has really impressed this coaching staff. Well, you know, what he's taking advantage of is an opportunity and, and a little sliver of an opening in a, in a cracked door because Kyle Kalis has been out and because Austin Corbett has essentially been moved to just exclusively the backup center, which is and, fine. And for doing well there. Yeah. By oh, the way. excellent. He looks extremely comfortable. Looks more natural at center than he does at guard, which is remarkable considering he played tackle in college. But Drew is another former tackle who is very much built like a guard, who looks more comfortable at guard with each rep that he gets. And he's, it's so funny because he's definitely one of those players who flips a switch. He's the nicest guy off the field, and as soon as he comes on the field, he plays with violence, and that'll help you a lot yeah. in the interiors, playing with that type of violence. So it's great to see him really improve this camp. All right. Well, in our interview of the day, our good friend Jason Gibbs got a few minutes with Hall of Famer Tony Dungy to talk Freddie, Baker, and more. Take it away, Gibby. Coach, what's your advice to a first-year coach like Freddie Kitchens? 
I think you have to be yourself and build your um, build your brand with the mindset uh, of things that are important to you, and um, don't waver, don't deviate from that. I saw Coach Noel at the end of his tenure, but then I, I played for Bill Walsh in his first year in San Francisco, and we won two games. But he never deviated from what he wanted to accomplish. The message never changed. Eventually they got it, and they won Super Bowl after Super Bowl. So uh, let them know right away who you are, what you expect, and then don't deviate. What's the biggest challenge going from year one to year two for a quarterback like Baker Mayfield? It is to really understand that every year is a growing process and regardless of the success you had last year, you want to be better. And again, being better is the small things. It's not the highlight reel 60 yard play. It's not the fantastic spin out of a sack. And you know, those things help and they, obviously he's got talent to do that, but it's the little details of doing your job that that's how you're going to improve. And that, if you look at a guy like Peyton, that's where he was so good. Improve those small details every year, and that's how you get to 50 touchdown passes. Finally, uh, a room full of offensive weapons for the, on the Brown side of things. How do you manage, you know, you, you had a lot of star players when you were here, and managing egos and making sure that everybody, you know, gets the ball or doesn't get the ball. How, what, what are the goals? Or, What's your mindset that you have to have when you're managing all those weapons offensively? You know, we had it here, but I, I learned when I got to Pittsburgh. You know, I was a rookie. We had nine guys who eventually ended up in the Hall of Fame, and we had a lot of offensive weaponry there. And uh, every game is not going to be 10 catches for every player. It's not going to be, you know, 150 yards for Franco Harris. But when we need it, it it's got to be there. And the most important thing is winning. And that's what you keep talking about. You keep drilling in, winning, 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 and if that becomes the most important thing, then the other things take care of themselves. Great job, Gibbe. All right, guys, two days of joint practices are in the books. Let's turn our attention to Saturday, preseason game number two. Jim, what are you looking for? Well, I look for carryover now, um, you know, to see if this carries into the game on Saturday, how they practiced here and how they dominated here. So I'll look for that. Um, I would, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if Kareem Hunt gets on the field. And I know it's only for the preseason, and then there's eight weeks that we have to wait for that afterwards. But I, I am really anxious to see him play and get some work will. in. Yeah, so I think that will be really interesting. And to maybe get a look at how that all works when Chubb is playing and, and, uh, and Kareem Hunt is playing. So I look at that, and I just look at uh, – once again, you know, seeing the offense maybe not in a two-minute drive, but more of a just a drive, you know, just driving the ball down the field. And, and that will be interesting for me to watch. It'll be interesting to me. Um, I didn't get much of a look at the offense the last couple of days to see how Eric Cush plays at game speed. But, you know, really the game speed thing that's going to be most interesting to me and thing I'm going to be watching very closely is the Browns won physically out here on the last two days and especially today. But at game speed, when these Colts are not going to be letting up like maybe they've been taught to let up as that's basically how they've run their entire camp is a little bit softer than the Browns camp uh, is will the Browns win physically on game day and and especially when it comes to these starters this first quarter is going to be the one that I really am just extremely excited for and obviously the rest of the game for the you know some of these bubble guys to get their chances as well but I really want to see if this defensive line can do as well in the game as they did in the practice field today. You know, I've got my eye on, obviously, the playing time of how we're going to see the first team offense. Freddie Kitchen said something after practice today that made me 
maybe raise my eyebrows a little bit that maybe they aren't gonna you know do the gradual progression with the first team offense because they got the the first team got a lot of work out here on the practice field and I maybe this is the game you let the twos out there for a really long time and get that really good evaluation because you get to game three and then you expect to get a lot of the ones and maybe not a lot of the bubble guys. So maybe this is the bubble guy game. Maybe this is where we see a lot of the the, the guys in that 45 to 65 man on the on the 53-man roster range. So, you know, uh, keeping eyes on, on the offensive line competition, uh, defensive backs, who's going to be these last defensive backs. So keeping an eye on special teams, all, all these kind of areas, because I, I saw enough from the first-team offense where I don't need to see much uh, out of them in this preseason game. Get, get me to the dress rehearsal game, and then get me to the regular season. Uh, so I would, I, I'm going to keep my eyes on this, these second- and third-team groups out there. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that you wanted to get a lot of work. He stressed how important these practices would be. You got to see your starters out there a ton in competitive situations without having to really expose them to significant injury. And I think that you might see a very brief appearance from them again. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I do want to see that defensive line since we really haven't gotten to see them in a game situation. So even if it's brief, I want to see that. I, I want to see Mac Wilson, how he continues his progress uh, from what we saw there. And then more than anything, other than staying healthy, I want to see the kickers both have to kick a lot of field goals and see what happens in a game situation. Ideally, they make them all, but I want to see how that goes because I think that's right now the one thing that is the most unsettled on this roster that it has a chance to play a big factor in winning and losing in the regular season. Yeah, you know that's a great that's a great point. Um, and also, we haven't gotten to see them in, in a pressure situation, right? you know, in the last few days. But they did have a really good stretch from the last preseason game all the way up to, you know, now kicking. I mean, they've been, the they've been really – they've gotten they both come on strong. So we'll see what happens, you know, in a game situation here on the road. Yeah, I don't think Joseph has missed, and I think Cyber – I think Joseph's 15 of 15 and Cyber's 14 of 15 since the preseason game, which is – that's what you want to see. Let's yeah. bring out the best in each other. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun here. Hopefully we will see something as impressive on Saturday as we saw from this Colts crew – tearing down this training camp facility. I know that Jim was certainly it's, impressed with what I, you saw. So you're stunned. You well, you know, they always have these crews that work in arenas, and if you have, like, a basketball game and have to switch to the skating, to the ice, you know, for an NHL game coming in. But this crew here at, at Colts training camp. They're unbelievable. It's unreal. It's unbelievable, and it's male and female, I have to tell you. Yeah. They're a spirited, spirited group. More spirited than I think that their team was at times these last couple of days. Maybe they got a pep talk from yeah. Petty Kitchens. I don't <laughs> know. Right. It, it seems you, to be effective. you got to convert this from uh, fields of grass with fence around it to just more fields of grass. Which right. Right. No shortage of Without right. fence. Yeah. 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 Fence of dreams. Fenceless. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the best podcast available.